<laughs> a history of comedy. It's several chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. A history of comedy. It's several chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. Hello and welcome to A History of Comedy in Several Objects, a podcast from the University of Kent about the British stand-up comedy archive. Um, and the idea of the podcast is that every episode we'll take an item from the archive uh, relating to stand-up comedy and we'll actively interpret it and discuss it to reveal what it shows us about the nature of stand-up. So what is it we've, we've got this episode, Elspeth? Oh, I should just say, uh, I'm Ollie Double, and this is my colleague, Elspeth Miller. We are very much the Mike Nichols and Elaine May of comedy archiving. <laughs> uh, so the object uh, record today is um, a letter to Jim Barclay. Uh, he was one of the members of Alternative Cabaret, um, and it's from a small collection of material that Jim has loaned to us. Um, which is um, a lovely little collection that's kind of got programmes in it, um, some press and reviews, posters for things like minors' benefits, um, a letter from Neil Kinnock as well. Maybe we'll come back to that another time. Um, but this letter today is um, to Jim as kind of one of the organisers of Alternative Cabaret from the Goldsmiths College Students' Union. Intriguing. In 1979. And, and it's a letter that tells him how good the show was or something? On the contrary, um, it's a kind of a letter of complaint. So it's dated 31st of October 1979, so quite early in terms of alternative cabaret as a group. And it appears that the group had gone to do a, a show for Goldsmith Student Union, which was not unusual at the time, or maybe that's quite early, but groups of comedians did go and do of shows to students' unions. Um, but this show didn't go very well. In fact, it was kind of received quite hostily, um, and the, the letter is a response to the show. OK, so let's have a look what it says here. Um, Dear Mr Barclay, I feel it is necessary to complain about the very dangerous behaviour of members of your alternative cabaret group on Tuesday the 23rd October at Millard Building, Camberwell. I was shocked to hear that one member of your act actually let off a CO2 fire extinguisher in the faces of two members of the audience. I realised that the act did receive, receive spelt wrong, a hostile reception. However, it is a totally unprofessional attitude on your behalf when you stoop to merely swearing at your audience, attempting to attract their attention by smashing a crate of empty bottles from our bar on stage and then reverting to acts of violence likely to cause very serious injury to members of the audience. It was also reported that one female student who was on the telephone to friends after the incident was assaulted and accused of phoning the police. As an executive, we cannot condone such acts of violence against the students that you were paid to entertain. After such an evening, I can no longer recommend the comedians in your act to any other college or venue, not only because of the above incidents, but also some of the jokes were of a sexist and offensive nature. Your services will not be required by this college in the future. Yours sincerely, uh, social and cultural affairs person. So, OK, that's intriguing, isn't it? What do you make of that? I find it very intriguing because, well, mainly, mainly the... The bottom bit in particular, I suppose, where they're talking about some of the jokes being of a sexist and offensive nature. Because I've never come across that before when people are talking about alternative comedy or alternative cabaret. I, I was under the impression that they were 
formed as a direct response to that kind of that more traditional comedy that you might have had um, on television in in clubs at the time against kind of they position themselves as anti-racist anti-sexist so that to me is really intriguing um, to hear that the complaint was of that nature in particular Yes, I mean, I, I suspect that, um, yeah, it, it precisely. I mean, they specifically went on a non-sexist, non-racist platform, and so it's weird to be accused of being sexist. But, you know, I wonder whether that was to do with a sort of heightened sensitivity around what we might now call political correctness. You know, in other words, that, the, that anything that they said that mentioned a woman might have been taken as being sexist just because they were so fed up with what the way the gig had turned out because it doesn't sound like it was the smoothest event mm. uh, so it maybe they just threw that in or you know it's just possible that one of the, this was very early days as you say and it's just possible one of them did say something dodgy who knows um, my guess is the first mm. is that, that they were deemed to be sexist because that was another hit stick to beat them with rather than because it was something they'd actually done wrong as you say, it was really early days in terms of this style of comedy. Do people react to it differently? Well, that's a really good point, because actually I'd, what I'd love is for this social secretary to encounter genuine sexist comedy. I mean, 1979, you could go out there into a working men's club or even see on television, even in quite mild sitcoms, you could see jokes which implied that women wanted to be raped. You know, it was a terrible time for comedy in terms of the politics. There was a hell of a lot of racist comedy, some really vile women-hating comedy. And these people were trying to do something different, and it must have been kind of galling to be accused of sexism Mm -hmm. when they were precisely trying to do the opposite of that. So yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's, I, think, I think that's an interesting point. But also, I think you're right, I'm not sure that they would have been used to the idea of doing stand-up comedy in a student union because stand-up comedy wasn't a young, cool thing at that point. It was people like Alternative Cabaret who changed it into being something associated with youth culture and left-wing values. Before that, it had been an older person's thing and very much associated with reactionary values, uh, certainly in the immediate period before this. But it's interesting, even the terminology is slightly wrong. So, you know, a comedian does an act. They are an act. You know, if you have a, a, a comedy show, it's made up of a series of acts. But the way it describes it here is... I can't remember where I'm just trying to try and find the, the bit. Yeah, one member of your act... But it's not a member of the act. He's a member of the group or a member of the show, if you see what I mean. It's, it's, so so they, they, you know, I think the fact that they're getting the language around this slightly wrong indicates that they don't know what quite what it is they're dealing with. Um, the other thing that's obviously of note is the kind of the violence that um, supposedly happened. Um, was that unusual? Well, I think, that's, I think that's a really good question. Um, clearly, there was some naughtiness going on here. I mean, from, from this account, uh, uh, somebody let off a fire extinguisher in, in somebody's face and then threatened the, the audience with fruit juice bottles. And I'm, I'm sort of playing ignorant here because I'm just using the evidence in the letter. But, in fact, when Jim gave, lent us this stuff, um, I was really thrilled to see this because when I first started becoming interested in the history of alternative comedy, this was one of the incidents that stuck out for me. It, it, it was written about in Roger Wilmot's book called Didn't You Kill My Mother-in-Law, which was the first history of alternative comedy published in 1989, ten years after the comedy store opened. And what I found interesting about this was the idea that 
or you know because the traditional idea of a comedian is that they're jolly and friendly and they just want to win you over somebody here is not trying to win the audience over they're just going well if you don't want to be won over I'm going to threaten you with a fruit juice bottle and so um, to, to find the specific date when this happened and to see the letter of complaint is intriguing because you actually suddenly see the factual basis of this almost folkloric story um, and, but yes, I mean there was. I mean, I think I think um, we'll perhaps talk about this in a bit. But um, there is a sort of hostility that exists in stand-up anyway, because there's a feeling that the audience are there judging the comedian, and if they don't like it, they can certainly let them know, either by refusing to laugh or by heckling or whatever. And the the language. This is a commonly made point, but the language comedians use. They say if they do well, they say I killed. If they did badly, they say I died. We've got some lovely examples of both of those, actually, in that we've got... We're lucky to have um, audio recordings from early alternative cabaret gigs, and you can hear... There's nothing violent that goes on, but you can really hear hecklers and the put-downs by the comedians, some of which I think Tony Allen's did a fantastic put-down at one point. Um, but in terms of that language of I, a horrible death, Josie Long, when she um, first started out, she kept a scrapbook, and she's marked up the gigs where she had a wonderful gig and those where she suffered a horrible death. So that's, it's lovely that that language is going, going through. Absolutely, and it's worth saying as well that, the, that I think, I think when you, we've got recordings of the early gigs at the Comedy Store and then recordings at other alternative comedy venues like the Elgin in Ladbroke Grove and Pentameters uh, in Hampstead, I think, of the Theatre Club. Mm. And what's interesting is that, the, that some of them are just... It's just a, you can tell people don't quite know what it is they're, they're experiencing because it's such a new thing. But basically, it's a nice audience. And sometimes it's almost the problem is that the audience is too quiet and they're, they're having to sort of liven them up a bit. But the Comedy Store one, it's like a combat sport between performer and audience. It's just the game is survival for a lot of the acts because the audience could shout for the acts to be gonged off mm-hmm. and the compet would gong off any acts that they didn't like. And in fact, Jim, who was a very important early figure in early alternative comedy and was a really interesting comic, he used to describe himself as a wacky, zany, Marxist-Leninist comedian whose job was to destroy capitalism through jokes or something like that. And we have here an article from The Sun about Jim, published in October 1981, and uh, the son and Jim are not natural bedfellows, it should be said. Politically, he's the opposite end of the spectrum. And in fact, it says here, taking Eula on, he said, with unquestionable sincerity, is like challenging a tank full of piranha fish to a game of water polo, which is quite a nice line. And in, and the, in the headline they've got there is uh, going, going, gong, obviously a pun on the gong that was used at the comedy store. And there's a photo there of... Jim banging the gong or you know pretending to with a microphone and it says wacky times in a comics graveyard so the comedy store was thought of as being this sort of deadly place for comedians to perform and on this occasion this is an example of another gig where there was hostility between performer and audience but what we see here is that the hostility wasn't just coming from the audience it was being returned back to them and it doesn't mention the name of the act But we know who it was. And we know that it was somebody called Keith Allen, who is an actor you you may have come across. And um, we're going to hear a clip here of Jim 
Barclay talking about Keith Allen and what, what made him interesting. Edit. First of all, he took diabolical liberties with the format. I mean, the, for example, the compere would say, ladies and gentlemen, Keith Allen, and then he wouldn't appear. You know, so everybody by this... So then he had to wait, work on that aggression. Then he would appear from the back in an old raincoat and a, and a hat and just play the piano. Then slam the fall down on the piano and say, ladies and gentlemen, when I was a kid, my dad said your mother must have fucked a pig to have you. You know, and I thought... That, so immediately the audience, you, that's his opening <laughs> comment, you know. Edit. So it, he was a fearless and, I don't know, confrontational comedian by the sound of it. And it's worth thinking about how he fitted into Alternative Cabaret because we have, I think, somewhere in that package um, a little booklet about Alternative I think it's there in your hand, actually. Oh, yes, about when Alternative Cabaret went up to Edinburgh in, I believe, 1981. And he's not there in the members. It's the members listed there are Tony Allen, Jim Barclay, Pauline Melville, Andy Delator, and uh, Phil Nichol. Uh, not the comedian Phil Nichol, but a, a musician, I believe, or singer. Um, so, you know, Keith Allen's not there. And in fact, he never was a member. No, he was. Um Another document that we've got within Andy De La Tour's material um, lists him as kind of a, a sometime collaborator, and I can't remember who, who else is listed as a sometime collaborator, but it was very much, yeah, kind of a sometimes think he would appear as part of the collective, but um, yeah, he wasn't a full member. Uh, and apparently, how uh, how it works with Alternative Cabaret was that it, it was a collective, so it wasn't there wasn't one person in charge of bookings. They could, they were each able to book gigs, and they would take then responsibility for liaising with the promoter or the venue, and then you know getting the acts on board, you know selecting the acts and see who was free, and getting them to come and get organising it all. So the reason that Jim's got this letter of complaint is not because he was the miscreant, mm -hmm. but rather because he was the organiser of the gig. But I think that Keith Allen probably was never an organiser of a gig, is my guess. Uh, not for Alternative Cabaret, because apparently the, when they started, they started as a way of sort of building the scene beyond the comedy store. And they had this initial meeting, and allegedly Keith Allen turned up merely to say that he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Which is lovely, the fact that he took the effort to turn up to tell them he wasn't... I, I think he's... He, well, according to Jim, uh, he, he was a complete anti-authoritarian, as we will hear now. Edit. What Keith brought on was a complete anti-authoritarian kit. It wasn't political in that way, but what he brought on was a middle finger to everything that had gone on that evening and in variety that year and for the last hundred years, you know what I mean? Edit. So a complete rebel, we think. And, you know, in this instance, I mean, what, we, what, what, we've, what we've got is, you know, apparently he sort of walked out with this, uh, well, there's the fire extinguisher in the face. Um, I think he. I think he. It wasn't the only time he assaulted the audience phys uh, physically. Apparently, apparently he. Uh, this is well documented. Uh, he. Uh, I think he 
I think he might have like thrown a drink over somebody. I think he threw through a drink or fire extinguisher at a, at a reviewer who'd written a nice review, <laughs> apparently. Um, and then the, uh, I think there was an occasion where he was just a bit bored, so he started throwing darts at the audience. So he was a, he was definitely a dangerous comedian in every sense of the word. Um, Did he ever perform at the Tunnel Club? Do we know? Did he ever perform at the Tunnel Club? I'm not sure, actually, because mm. I can't remember when the Tunnel Club started. Mm. Uh, the Tunnel Club being, obviously, a later mm. venue where, where it was confrontational. Um, I'm not sure, can't remember, I'm afraid. Um, but I bet, he, I bet he could hold his own <laughs> if he did. And in this case, so he's, he's, he's let off the fire extinguisher in somebody's face, which is not, not the safest thing in the world to do. I bet he hadn't risk assessed that. And then this thing with the, with the fruit juice bottles, apparently what he did was he found a crate of, let's say, 20 fruit juice bottles... And he took it on stage with him and he chucked it down onto the stage and then he, he got one of them and he sort of smashed it and he said, uh, comedians have things that they use for hecklers called put-downs. I've got 20 of them here. And then he sort of threatened them with this broken bottle, which sounds kind of really scary and yet amazing at the same time. Like, I, again, if, if we had a TARDIS, I'd be visiting <laughs> that gig and seeing it for myself. Even if it was kind of... Yeah, you know, I suspect that because it was a hostile gig, I suspect it wasn't that interesting in terms of comedy because I can't imagine they got that many laughs if they had this hostility that led to that level of kind of violence. Yeah, well, the letter doesn't really tell us is whether it was just one performer who who didn't go down very well, or whether and who else was performing, um, and whether the reaction was to the whole group or whether it was just to one performer. Yeah, I think I think the accounts I've read suggest it was pretty much across the board and everybody else just sort of did their bit and didn't enjoy it and sort of didn't get much from, didn't get much in the way of positive reaction from the audience and just went off whereas he went I'm not having this. Uh, it does say uh, it's necessary to complain about the very dangerous behavior of members of alternative cabaret group. But I mean, you know, this he may not have even been there the guy who's written this letter. You know, it may be that that he's just, you know, it may well be that he's just had the reports from other people. Mm. Um, I mean, it's worth going back to that point about heckling, though. And, and, you know, one of the difficult things about doing stand-up is somebody can really undermine your authority with an audience and stop the rest of the audience laughing at you if they get one over on you. In other words, if they, get, if they say something funnier than anything you've said and then you can't come back at them with something, that really sort of destroys you and and speaking from you know multiple experiences dying on stage is a horrible experience it makes you feel utterly powerless and uh, there's a film funny bones with lee evans and it shows one of the characters dying on stage and it, i think that captures the feeling quite well um but keith allen apparently um you know was was much less prone to, to, to ever being at the mercy of an audience because of his attitude and as Jim discussed when I interviewed him which I should just say this interview took place um, in his garden on a beautiful summer's afternoon after he'd made me lunch um, he's a really nice guy I should just say that so let's, let's hear the final clip of Jim talking about Keith Allen Edit! and it was in, refused to be intimidated all of us, even Alexi would be on certain nights completely intimidated just you get to a point you've probably had it your mouth goes dry yeah, yeah, yeah. and you just think I don't know what to do now yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do all I can do is get off and I've lost you know Keith always refused he would go on for another hour if he had to <laughs> do that 
So he was he was remarkable, and he had resilience coming out of every pore of his body, you know. Yeah. But I couldn't actually put my finger on what it was that made him electric. It's certainly not on any recorded thing. You had to yeah. be there to see what he had. Yeah. Edit. It's interesting he says that it's not only a recorded thing because we do have a recording of Keith Allen uh, performing with Alternative Cabaret. Yeah, so that was from 1981, so two years after, so it certainly didn't uh, damage their relationship <laughs> if he was still performing two years, two years later. Um, that was recorded at Pentameters in Hampstead. Um, yes, yeah, so we do have him. He was kind of, he introduced the show and then sort of closed the show as well based on the recording that we have. Yes, and, and, and the recording's sort of great and it's really fascinating. Uh, some of what he does is very, very interesting and you can certainly hear that he has that gift of holding an audience. But Pentameters was a quite a gentle venue, I think, for comedy and it didn't have that kind of confrontational element. So you don't hear the kind of magic and excitement and danger that that is conveyed by the memories of people who saw him a lot at the time, like Jim, who we just heard in that recording. But there are lots of, of uh, first-hand accounts of seeing him doing extraordinary things in that performance situation. What we don't have is that. You know, that we haven't caught that particular lightning in a bottle. What we have got is great, though. OK, so uh, that's, that's a pretty much it for that, I think. But, you know, before we finish the podcast, it's always important to remind you that this is not just about us talking to you. It's also about you getting directly involved. And there are various ways that you can do that. Get involved! If you want to contribute to the podcast directly, you can look up items on our catalogue. The URL for that is available on our social media um, and pick out an item that you'd like us to talk about in a future episode, and we will talk about that in a future episode of the podcast. Uh, the chocolate chip version of that is for you to come into the Stand Up Comedy Archive at the University of Kent, look at an object or a set of records that you see, um, send us the audio, and we'll feature it in a future episode. Um, but please do come in anyway. You don't have to record an audio segment. Yeah, whether you just want to do research yeah. for your own sake or whether you're working on an academic paper, it's fine. You can come and, and use the stuff. That's what it's there for. Absolutely. Open to everybody. Should have said that right at the beginning. <laughs> but, but also there is another ridiculous way you can get involved, which is if you like our theme tune, you can record your own cover version of it, send us the recording, and if we like it, we'll use it in a future episode. Great. We'll see you next time for another episode of... A History of Comedy in Several Objects. A History of Comedy in Several Objects is devised and presented by Dr. Oliver Double and Elspeth Miller for the British Stand-Up Comedy Archive, brought to you by the University of Kent. This is made possible by the University of Kent's Public Engagement Research Fund. Photography by Matt Wilson and editing and production by Matt Hulse.